All right, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, it says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. No, actually it wasn't his son uh, directly, but uh, in a spiritual sense he adopted him and wanted to look after him and uh, obviously they spent quite some time together. Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God when I ser- whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. There's some wonderful principles which are sort of almost incidental, I suppose. He just talks here and, uh, and writes these things, but we, we're sort of immediately attracted to the thought there is Paul who's uh, very mindful of this young lad and uh, obviously was involved in his beginnings in the Lord and wanted to be thoughtful about him and prayerful about him and mindful of him all the way through. And that's a lesson for all of us, isn't it? It's not just about us. It's about people around about us, people in the Lord. People are not in the Lord yet, people that we need to have compassion on and thoughtfulness about. And uh, Paul was certainly in his prayers, wasn't just praying for his own needs. In fact, quite often you read about Paul consistently praying for others. No doubt he prayed for himself, but uh, uh, it's not a bad idea to be thoughtful about other people and their circumstances. Anyway, greatly desiring to see thee, we're in verse 4, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned or genuine love or faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also. So we mustn't ever underplay or underestimate the influence that uh, a mum and a grandmum might have on somebody. Uh, very much uh, their life uh, is involved with this uh, child, and as a child is growing up, he will learn and appreciate and understand and value the things that his mother and grandmother obviously were involved in. The, the parents were, perhaps didn't exist fully here, but, but at least the mothers and the grandmother was available and, 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 and they did a wonderful job in bringing this person up. And Paul was obviously convinced this young lad uh, would had, had a great upbringing and he also was obviously responding to that, seeing the example and acting accordingly. But given all of that that this man, Timothy, was a good lad and obviously was going to be used and uh, Paul was very concerned about making sure that, uh, yes, he was uh, conscious of a number of things and he got a responsibility. He says this in verse 6, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So even though the attitude of Timothy was great and his credentials were good and his upbringing was obviously rock solid, and there was genuine uh, consideration of the things of the Lord, and it was real, it, it was meaningful to them, Paul still wanted to remind Timothy, and no doubt to remind us, that we need to stir up the gift of God. It, if it's not stirred up, it's not so much the gift that needs stirring, it's us in relationship to that gift. It's we that need stirring. It's neither, we that need agitating and, and getting involved and, and committing our life. Now, there wasn't really a question here that Timothy wouldn't have done that, but it's just a good reminder that regardless of who you are and regardless of whether this person had obviously this uh, wonderful background and all the rest of it, there was still a need to be mindful and, and on guard and watchful and alert to the, the problems round about. Now, this particular word here, stir up in verse 6, in the Greek only occurs once 
in the King James, in the Bible. And it's in, in the King James, it's, this is the verse, and it's, it's translated stir up. It comes actually from two Greek words. One means life or to live, and the other means fire. So that's the two Greek words it comes from. So this means really to enliven the fire. So it's talking here about a Holy Ghost experience. The fire of God's power and joy and blessing in your life needs to be rekindled. In fact, the, uh, the dictionary for Greek words says this, the Vines Expository of Greek words says this, kindle afresh or keep in full flame and is used metaphorically where the gift of God is regarded as a fire capable of dying out through neglect. That's the statement the, the dictionary made, all of that. So it's saying here, this is a little illustration. The, the, the Holy Spirit is like a fire that's been set alight inside you, but it can be smothered. It can lack oxygen, as it were. It can lack fuel. It can go out. It's possible. It may never fully go out, of course. It's the Holy Spirit. It might be like a pilot light. It sort of goes on to pilot light. It's not doing much good. Uh, you can see a little bit of a glimmer there. So Paul is reminding Timothy, as he reminds all of us, and how great it would be if all those who are spirit-filled across the planet really stirred themselves up about the things of God and took note of this verse, stir up the gift of God which is in thee. Now, just for those who are not aware, of course, Timothy, obviously, like all those uh, Christians in the Bible, received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. And uh, Paul was involved and uh, others are involved. And uh, we look back and we hear the testimony of Brian. He goes back to 1982. I go back to 1969. Others go back further or later uh, or, or much more recent. doesn't matter. There was a point in time where we received the gift of God, the gift of righteousness, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, whatever terms you might use, there's one spirit, the Bible says. And the Bible also says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, unless you possess the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian at all. You're not truly a child of God, the Amplified Bible says. In the King James it says you are none of his. It all says the same things. So Timothy was one of the lords because he received the Holy Spirit. Paul was one of the lords. He received the Holy Spirit. Not on the road to Damascus, as some people suggest. That's where he was blinded and apprehended by Jesus Christ. But, but later on, when hands were laid upon him, he received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, of course. And so he's saying here, well, this is the great gift of God. Now you need to make sure you stir up yourself and therefore in so doing stir up uh, the Holy Ghost experience within yourself, of course. Uh, we all know the, the need of fire in our life, um, some of us who are a bit older can go back to when I was a young lad. Uh, in our kitchen, we had a, a wooden uh, stove. Uh, so you, you had to have that fire going all the time. We have to, otherwise, you have to start it up all the time. So, uh, And the same in the lounge. It was a, a wood fire. So the idea was to keep the fire burning all the time because uh, it would be much more difficult to have to start all over again. And if it was providing hot water for you, which it was in our case, then you'd, if you didn't have the fire going, well, you'd have cold water. So that, that wouldn't be as pleasant, obviously. So going back into history, fire is very significant. So it's not unusual the Lord would choose metaphors and examples which we could relate to. And fire is certainly giving us light, giving us warmth, giving us comfort, giving us protection, and, and we can apply those principles, of course, to the Holy Ghost experience. In the Amplified Bible, it says, verse 6, Rekindle the embers, fan the flame, and keep burning. 
So that's what Paul is reminding Timothy, but he's reminding all of us. God expects us to do that. God would like all of his children to be fanning the flames and really stirring themselves up and, and committing their life in, in devotion and dedication to the things of God. And it works both ways, of course. The Lord is very happy to bless us. Another translation says, fan, fan into the flame. Another one says, stir up the flame. So it's, it's about poking the flame to get it going. Let's go to First Thessalonians, just back a little bit. First Thessalonians. And chapter 5. It's a little reminder here of the, I suppose you could say the opposite, but it says ultimately the same principle. I'm looking at chapter 5 and verse 19, which is a very short verse, which says, Quench not the Spirit. Now, other translations say some interesting things about this. It's a reminder. uh, One translation says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Another one says, Do not smother the Holy Spirit. Another one says, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. And yet another, do not suppress the Holy Spirit. So the Bible's reminding us that fires can go out. And uh, there's a lot of stuff that we can uh, put on our fire, as it were, that can smother the fire. A lot of worldly dirt, a lot of worldly distractions, a lot of busyness, a lot of lifestyle, a lot of things that uh, can take away from us devoting our attention to this fire. And it's important that the priests in the Old Testament had responsibilities to keep the fire burning. We are kings and priests, the Bible says. We've got a responsibility to keep that fire burning. Not just in our own lives, but of course it has to start there, but ultimately that fire can spread not only to our own folk here, but to people further afield, of course. Tonga, for example. So there are many places where we want to see the fire of the Holy Ghost really spreading. And so we've got to be mindful of the fact that there are things that can distract us, of course. There are things that can catch us out. And we want to be uh, uh, alert to that. I didn't read in Timothy there where Paul went on to say, keep the Holy Spirit, guard, watch the Holy Spirit. So stirring up the gift, but make sure you're watchful of what's happening in, in your life and your circumstances and what direction you're taking. So we, we've got to be careful the wilderness doesn't uh, get in the way. If you look at, go back a bit, some of the things that are mentioned here in verse 16, rejoice evermore. I guess that's part of the stirring process. Pray without ceasing, that certainly is. I want to talk a bit more about that in a moment. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. So the absence of some of those things is going to contribute to the quenching of the Spirit. If we're not rejoicing, then the fire is getting dim, obviously, and we're not appreciating what's happening. If we're not praying, then we don't value what's happening and we don't see the benefit and uh, obviously the processes the Lord has set in place for us. We receive the Holy Spirit, we speak in tongues. That's a sign that we've received the Holy Ghost, but it's also the ability to communicate with God ongoing. If we don't pray, then are we quenching the Spirit? Well, yes, of course. In everything, give thanks. Even in our trials, as our brother said, we still give thanks because the Lord's in control. The Lord knows what's happening to us. The Lord knows the circumstances that we're involved in. And the Lord is well able to bring us through all of that. If we're stirring up the pot, if we're stirring up the fire, if we're getting ourselves into the action. So we've got to uh, cultivate and stoke up and and prod around and and, and part of that is to pray without ceasing. And I want to focus a little bit more on the prayer side of it today because I believe that's where it starts. All the other stuff will flow from that. The way we consider one another, our testimony, our example, our concern and compassion for the unsaved, 
our mindfulness of one another and how we conduct ourselves, the consequences, uh, how we live our life in, in the world generally with the people we're involved in, the friends we may or may not have, all those sort of things that are part of our life, they, they are sort of the results of the fire. How we conduct ourselves in our life generally will start from within. It'll start from this fire from within. It'll be motivated from within. And therefore we need to make sure we get that right. In First Timothy it says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee. In Hebrews it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Now there are many, many things that we can neglect in life. Of course, I've mentioned some already. We can neglect fellowship. We can find reasons not to come to meetings. We can find excuses or justification. We can do that. That's what happens. And if we neglect things too much, they go to rack and ruin. We can neglect our testimony. We can be a little more careless and casual about perhaps at work or at college or with our friends or where we go or what we send on text messages or a whole range of stuff. We can be a little neglectful of those things. We can be neglectful about how we treat one another. How, how, whether we invite that person to something we've got going, but the person next to them doesn't get invited. So we've got to be careful about the consequences of, of what we do and what we say and how it affects people. And we can neglect that. And we can be careless and casual about that. We can neglect our reading of the Bible. We can leave our Bible in the boot of the car from Sunday to Wednesday and then from Wednesday back to Sunday again or it's Tuesday if you have a Tuesday night meeting. We can be neglectful of reading of the Word of God. Yet the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we're being neglectful of our, our faith and our faithfulness to God in that department as well. We can be uh, uh, neglectful of our witnessing. We might say we've got some friends, but do we, do we tell our friends how to get saved? Because they're not really your friends if you don't want to get them saved. If you want to see them rotten hell, that doesn't sound very good to me. So those people that you have contact with, we might say they're our friends. I'm not sure that they are. They might be our acquaintances. But we ought to be telling them and others, wherever we cross paths with people and the opportunity knocks on the door for us or we'll manufacture an opportunity to tell them how to get saved. We can be neglectful of our compassion and hence neglectful of our witnessing and telling people. And so we're sort of friendly, that's wonderful, and we spend some time together and we might go out and do this and go to the movies together and so on. It's all very nice, but it doesn't really save people's souls, does it? So there comes a point in time you can, might befriend somebody, there comes a point in time you've got to tell them we've got to repent or we perish one or the other. So we need to do something about it. So we, uh, we, can't, we can't afford to be neglectful of those things. We can't afford to be neglectful of our priorities and our decision-making, the choices. We can't afford to decide, well, I won't seek first the kingdom of God. I'll seek first my education. I'll seek first my relationships. I'll seek first my enjoyment, my entertainment, my sport, uh, my travel. I'll seek those things first. And we can be neglectful, therefore, of what should be our priority in the things of the Lord. We can neglect our joy. We can get our, allow ourselves to be uh, bitter or miserable or angry at someone, or uh, uh, attitude type of person. Well, that's not good for us. That's neglecting the joy and the rejoicing the Lord has promised to give us. Now, the one thing I want to focus on, though, is we must not neglect our communication with God because the rest of that will flow. If the fire is burning, if the fire is raging in our soul, as it were, if we're stirred up for the things of God, then that will motivate us in all the other ways. We won't want to miss meetings. 
because we're stirred up for the things of God. We won't want to miss an opportunity to tell somebody how to get saved. We won't want to miss an opportunity to represent the Lord well in the way we dress or the way we talk or the places we go or the things that we're looking at and so on. We'll want to impress the Lord because we're impressed by what the Lord has done for us. We're thrilled with our experience. And because we're thrilled and excited and we're on fire and the, the fire's kindled and because we're on top of things, then all the rest will flow from that. You've got to get that fire going first. Then the rest will take place. I'm not suggesting, by the way, that uh, little incidental things here just means that we look around and we say, oh, this fire's not burning in that person, is it? Look at what they've said or done. Well, uh, I'm not saying there's a direct correlation, but there is a connection. Let's not talk about the negative. Let's talk about the positive. If we really stoke up the fire, if we get that poker going, and I believe prayer is the poker. Prayer is like that thing you've had, got a wooden fire. By the way, we, we replaced our wooden fire. We bought a house, had a wooden fire thing in there. We replaced that with gas. All you've got to do with the gas is just click and the button goes on, the pilot lights flares up and everything comes on. It's wonderful. It looks nice and it's not messy. But I know some people love looking at fires and so on. Well, good luck to you. But uh, you probably, if that's the case, you've probably got a poker next to the fireplace there, this fire iron, and you poke it away to get the oxygen going in there, get the air going, get the logs moving, everything happening, and the fire is, is raging. Prayer, I believe, is that fire iron, that fire poker that's going to get those things really going. And that's what we want to do. So let's, uh, uh, we'll, t- we'll turn to a scripture and we'll turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's back a little way. Ephesians chapter 6. Now in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks here, as I think most of you might aware if you read your Bibles, uh, about the armour of the Lord. We might just start in verse uh, uh, 10. I'm not going to read it all, but just in verse 10. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now, the only way to do that is to stir up the gift of God. That's the only way it's possible. It's not academic. It's not theoretical. It's not a matter of what you might just pick up in some newspaper somewhere or other. This has got to be practical. You've got to get down and do something about this. And we've got to be serious about what we're doing. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. The power of the Holy Ghost is the power that we're dealing with. Jesus Christ said in Acts chapter 1, he told them, you wait in Jerusalem till you receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he said, you've heard of this because John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize, Jesus Christ will baptize you, sorry, I indeed baptize you with water. Jesus Christ will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and power. And so Jesus Christ reminds them of that. He's now been dead and buried and risen. He's now about to go to the heavenly realm again and send forth the Holy Spirit. So he says in Acts chapter 1 to his people there, you wait till you receive the promise, the power of the Holy Ghost. And in fact, he said a little later on in that same chapter, you'll receive the power of the Holy Ghost coming upon you. So that's what they're waiting for. In Acts chapter 2, this group of people, 120 it says approximately, received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. The power of the Holy Ghost did come upon them. And they went out in that power. And they did a a lot of stuff in those very early verses of getting together and praying and reading and fellowshipping and and rejoicing and, and being committed and stoking the fire right from the very beginning to make sure that fire remained burning. So the Lord, Lord is telling us that. Put on, he says, the whole armour of God. Now, the whole armour of God, there's a lot of facets here. And the facets are designed for many reasons, to, to protect aspects and to, to guard against and watch against and so on. But there are seven of them. The seventh binds it all together. 
Let's read verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. In the Spirit means speaking in tongues. The ability to speak in tongues is critical because it's part of our armor. And if we haven't got that part of it, we can't bind the rest of it together. It's meaningless. We've got to bind it all together with prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. It means that under all circumstances, regularly, consistently, for all situations, whether it be in your closet or whether it be out in the open or whether you're praying with somebody or whatever you're doing, but be consistent in your prayer. Uh, that's, that's the message the Bible's telling us. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Praying in the Spirit for one another as well for our own selves. Stoking up that fire. Making sure that it really is burning. That we are stirred up for the things of God. That our priorities are set. The Lord's coming back. Tonight I think uh, Brother Steve Rollins is going to give a presentation. Is he still doing that on Signs of the Times? That's still happening? Yes. So Steve's got a presentation for us, the second meeting. Uh, The Signs of the Times. What Signs of the Times? What what does all that mean? It means the Lord's coming back. All the people said. What are we supposed to be doing when the Lord's coming back? The Bible tells us. Uh, I was going to go a bit, a bit later, but it doesn't matter. I'll just mention it now. In Luke chapter 18, uh, I won't turn to it, uh, uh, Jesus said, And he spoke a parable unto them to this end, this is Jesus, that men ought always, or in the Greek, must always pray and not to faint. So he says to people, and he says to us, I expect you to be praying and don't collapse. Don't grow weary. Don't tire of that. Not to faint. Make sure you're praying. And then a few verses later in the same context, he says, When I return, how many will I find who have faith and who are praying? How many, he said, when I return, will I find faithfully involved and stirred up about the things of God and praying? And praying is obviously part of our thanksgiving and our appreciation and our recognition and the value and our understanding. All of those things are all bound up in prayer. It's not surprising that poker is going to really get things going. Now, we're not talking here about poking at it with a stick. We're talking about getting this thing stirred up. A little half-hearted prayer, a little catch prayer here and there is not what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about getting into it and making sure that you really value it. That's what Ephesians is talking about here. I'm going to read in this verse again, verse 18, from the Amplified Bible. For those who are not aware of that, it amplifies the Greek and gives you a little depth of the meanings. Pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the Spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. To that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose and strong perseverance, interceding in behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. So the message of the Amplified is... In my words, get stuck into it. Uh, that's not, that's a modern translation. Another translation says this, be intent upon this with unwavering perseverance and supplication for all Christ's people. Another one says, and be always on the alert to seize opportunities for doing so with unwearied persistence. Another one says, I plead with him, remind him of your needs and keep praying earnestly everywhere. So, those, all those terms are, are, are being alert and watchful and, and committed to prayer because we're committed to stirring up the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we know that's where it comes from. Because if we're stirred up 
and we're praying and agitating the Holy Ghost as it were, then we can expect some wonderful things to happen. And therefore our testimony will shine. And therefore we will be mindful of other people. And therefore we will want to tell other people about the things of the Lord. And we will want to come to meetings and we will want to uh, be in fellowship with one another. We, won't, we will want to encourage and exhort and comfort one another. We will pray for one another with a pure heart fervently. We'll do all of those things because it'll be obvious. The Strong's Concordance says to be earnest towards, to persevere, to be constantly diligent. That's the message. In uh, James, we won't turn to it, I'll just quote it. It says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. We know that. We read that. Is it academic or is it practical? The only way to be practical is to get on our knees, as it were, or wherever we happen to be, and, and get involved with our prayer life and up the stakes because the Lord's coming back and he wants us to up the stakes. He expects us to stir up the gift. He expects us to be motivated by the Holy Spirit. Another translation says, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. The word power is the Greek dunamis from which we get the word dynamic or dynamite, explosive power. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Another one says, the earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and produces wonderful results. Hallelujah. How exciting is it that we can pray? It's not a burden to pray, although sometimes we've got to press on. Sometimes, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening and we're, we're, we're minds racing about what we're going to do next. Rather than praying, we're actually thinking about the tea or we're thinking about the next day or we're thinking about the dental appointment or a whole range of other stuff goes on in our mind. So we've got to break through that. And that's not always easy because uh, there are distractions around us constantly. And if you're a mum or a dad, you've got children as well, you've got to find some time, you've got other commitments, you've got to work and maybe study you've got to do at home. There's a lot of stuff that's there and could be floating around in our mind. That stuff that's in your mind won't go away in the first 30 seconds. You've got to press past the barriers. So we're talking about the effectual, fervent prayer, not a, 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 a snatched prayer for half a second, uh, just as you're sort of going to have a shower or something. We're not talking about that. We're talking about setting some time aside to break through the barriers, to get through the things that are cluttering up, that are smothering the fire, that are distracting us, that are taking us away from what we're supposed to be doing. And that requires some effort on our part. It does require some commitment on our part. We've got to be determined to say, no, 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 I've got to do this. The fire is going out. It's down to a pilot light. I've got to switch this thing on again. I've got to crank it up. I've got to make sure that I'm stirred up for the things of God because that will then produce all the other stuff. It'll produce some unexpected opportunities to witness, for example, or a little blessing here or there or whatever. Not that we're doing for those reasons. We're doing because we love the Lord and the Lord loves us. And you need to communicate when two people, our love is involved, surely we've got to communicate with one another. Verse, go down to verse, uh, back to verse 13, it says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand, to stand the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Yes, there are other six aspects of the armour. We've talked about those on other occasions. No doubt we can talk about them again. But to make all this thing knit together, the Bible's tell, telling us, do all. And what must we do all? What is the commandment of God? What is the commitment that God expects of us? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. That's what God expects of us. In Colossians it says, continue in prayer 
and watch in the same. Be, another translation of the Amplified says, be earnest and unwearied and steadfast in your prayer life, being both alert and intent in your praying. Now, this is not a, a challenge in terms of condemnation to anybody. I don't, I don't, I'm not asking you what your prayer life's like. I'm not, there's no, there are no sort of cameras in your house where we're spying on you. It's up to you and God to sort out your prayer life. I don't think we should ask each other particularly how often do you pray or how long do you pray or when do you pray. I think that's between us and the Lord. But we need to do it. We need to pray. And and just recently, I mean, I've talked to people uh, with circumstances. Others have talked to people with their circumstances. And you find when you peel it back a little bit, you find, oh, we haven't had time to pray. We've only prayed uh, maybe once this week. Husbands and wives, you find, have never prayed together. Not suggesting you have to, but it's not a bad thing to do since you're one flesh. So there's a number of different sort of practical aspects of doing all of this and finding time to do it. But when you peel it all back, if we're not praying, then I don't know how we can expect anything else to happen much in our life. If we're not stirring up that fire, I don't know how you expect to get warm. I don't know how you expect to be comforted. I don't know how you expect to be reassured. I don't know how you expect to get any light in the lounge room if the fire's out and there's no light. From the fire, there's nothing. It's just pitch black and, and it's miserable. So it all stems back to that. In Romans 12, it says, continuing instant in prayer. Another translation says, devoted to prayer. Another one says, steadfastly maintain the habit of praying. Another one says, be faithful in your prayer life. Faithful. That's an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? Praying to God is actually being or demonstrating our faithfulness to our calling in Christ and to God and what he's done for us and Jesus Christ and his salvation and his death and resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned Luke uh, 18 already. We don't want to uh, see uh, ourselves growing weary. Let's go to Jude. Jude is towards the end, as you know. Only one chapter, so we just simply go to verse 19. Verse 19 says this. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. As far as God is concerned, we have lots of categories, but as far as God is concerned, there's only really two categories in this world. There are those who are spirit-filled and going on with the spirit, stirring up the fire and valuing the fire, and then those who are not. There's also subcategories, you might say, of various people amongst all of this, and we, in our own thinking, divide people up in a whole range of ways. But God's really only concerned, are you for me or are you against me? Are you in or you're out? Are you a believer or an unbeliever? Are you saved or are you unsaved? Are you committed to the things of God or are you casual and, and, and lacking devotion and dedication and diligence? That's all God sees. He doesn't see. He's not worried about the colour of your hair. We might be. We might spend a lot of money. Well, I don't, but others might spend a lot of money trying to change this. Sometimes you see some people every week they've got a different colour hair. Hard to recognise it. Or they might spend a lot of money on a lot of other stuff. Uh, okay, we, we spend a lot of money on a lot of things, no doubt about that. And, and God's not particularly interested about whether we've got muscles. He wants to know whether we've got spiritual clout or not. He's not concerned about whether our clothing is, is super duper and you've got the, the latest uh, $700 suit. 
Obviously, I haven't got one of those. I bought one in Target some years ago for $50. I should tell you the story about that, shouldn't I? Well, I, I bought this... I, I went to Target one day. I call it Target, um, because it's, it's obviously nicer. Um, I went to Target and got this uh, suit. But I, I didn't mean to get the suit. I was just wandering around Target for something else. And there was a rack there with one suit on it. It was a clearance, obviously. One suit. $50. $50 for a suit. I thought, well, dear, try that on. And it fitted. It's almost like you know, manna from heaven. So $50. So I wore this suit. I was preaching one day. Uh, and unfortunately, there was a visitor had come along and he'd, uh, he'd had a little bit to drink uh, prior to coming into the meeting. It was in Adelaide at the Vogue. And he got up in the middle while I was preaching and he said, and I, I won't put on the, the, the way he said it, but because he was, stum- he was stumbling a bit with his words. But anyway, he said, how come... I'm starting to do it. I didn't mean to do it. Uh, <laughs> how come you can get up there with your fancy suit, preaching your fancy suit? So he's having to go at my suit. And I, I, and I said, $50 from Tajay. <laughs> I don't know, why did I say that? Oh, God's not interested. <laughs> this man appeared to be, but God's not interested in my $50 suit or $5,000 suit. He's not interested in that. Yes, we should present ourselves well. We do ask our people up here to wear a tie on a Sunday up on the platform. I think we should present ourselves. It's, it's better to look at than, than thongs and, and a pair of bathers and a singlet. And you wouldn't want to be seeing me in any of that, I can tell you. So the Lord's not worried about that from the sense of uh, where we stand with him. He might be concerned about the way we present ourselves, of course, for our testimony in all the things that we say and do and how we live our life. But in terms of our salvation with him and our connection with him and our communication with him, he wants us to pray in the spirit. He wants us to give thanks in the spirit. He wants us to be spiritual, not sensual. He wants us to be motivated by spiritual truths, not the worldliness of this uh, life that we live in generally, the uh, consumerism and the materialism and and all the rest of it. We we can enjoy some of that, hallelujah, pressed down, shaken together and so on. We can enjoy some of those things for sure, but that's not our priority. And the Lord wants us to get our priority right. He says here, well, basically there's only two classes of people. Which one are you going to be in? Verse 20, but you, beloved, this is us now, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, those verses go together. We, when we pray in the Holy Ghost, when we are stoking that fire, when we're poking those embers and getting the thing kindled and enlivened and on fire, then we are keeping ourselves in the love of God. That's the way the Greek reads, even though the English comes out a little bit differently there. The message of those two verses is, if you want to keep yourselves in the love of God, if you want to be a partaker of his mercy, if you want to be there at the end of the age, if you want to be part of the glory to come, then make sure you're praying in the Spirit. Now, there are a lot of spirit-filled people who don't pray in the spirit. Hopefully none of us. But there are a lot of spirit-filled people you come across. And, and they received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues seven years ago. That was a nice experience for them. Haven't prayed in tongues since. That's not what God had in mind. The fire's gone out. 
There's no, there's no hope for a person who allows himself to drift into those situations. So that's what the Bible is telling us. You, beloved, you've got to build up yourself. You've got to inspire yourself. It says in the Amplified, make progress, rise like a, a uh, something or other, edifice, higher and higher. That's the Amplified Bible. Rise like an edifice. We're meant to be, we're, we're supposed to make a difference in this world. You know, we're, we're, we're the sons of God. Sometimes you look in the mirror and you sort of, eh, what's happened? Fifty years have ravaged uh, the situation somewhat. Uh, that's only flesh and blood. That's not what the Lord's. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what you look like and you're comparing your wedding photographs to what you look like now. You don't do that. It's not good for you to do that. It makes you upset, cause depression if you start doing those sort of things. So, so don't don't reflect on any of that. But the message of the Bible is, flesh and blood is not what it's all about. What it's about is, is God's spirit within us. The Bible says we're going to be transfigured, glorified, metamorphosed, a transformation from a grub or a, a, perhaps a, a chrysalis stage into a glorious butterfly. Not literally, of course, but a, a, a wing gem for the Lord. That's what the Lord's got in store for us. And that's what he cares about. In the meantime, yes, uh, the longer you live, the worse it gets. No doubt about that. You degenerate. Things don't work as well. Uh, and sometimes they, they stop working altogether. So you're in a bit of strife uh, from the fleshly point of view. But you, beloved, building ourselves in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, that's the difference. The rest are sensual and relying on that. And so do we from time to time, of course. You know, you go over there and you see your little great-grandson go, 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 and take photographs and this sort of stuff, little videos of him smiling, but he's only got wind, but you pretend he's smiling at you. Uh, you do all of that sort of stuff. End of the day, none of that matters. At the end of the day, what matters in matters is are you in or out? Are you stirring yourself up? Are you on fire for the Lord? Are you burning? Are you zealous for the things of God? Are you motivated by that? You know, all of us can do a lot better. I don't want to condemn, I want to challenge, no doubt, all of us to rise to the occasion. This is what the Bible's telling us here. We must pray. You can't get away from that. If we think you can be careless and casual about praying, well, we don't read our Bibles. Clearly not. It's a priority. It's an essential priority of our walk in the Lord. And we should be excited about it. It's not a task. It's a joy. If, if Hopefully, if you love your wife, you know, it's a joy to talk to her. You know, when you're driving home, you're looking forward to t- having a chat. You know, things like, oh, I've got to talk to my wife again. So it's not a matter of saying, oh, I've got to talk to God again. No, we're, we're rejoicing. We're, we're together. We're, we're one in the spirit with our Lord. He died for us and we want to live for him. That's how it works. And so we must pray. We must keep the fire burning. And we must find time to pray. We must. There are some things that just need to be neglected if we're losing out on our prayer life. We have to say, oh, no, all right, well, I'm not going to do the garden today then. I'm, I'm, I had in mind to spend half an hour in the garden, but someone else phoned me up and I missed out on that. So this half hour is for the Lord. Come what may. Turn the television off. Turn the phones off, perhaps. Leave your mobile phone off, perhaps. Whatever it is, don't be interrupted. Just have your prayer and make sure you have your prayer. Oh, is half an hour good enough? I, I don't put any time. You, you do decide that. Jesus said to his disciples, what, you can't even pray with me for an hour? Well, is an hour perhaps the better figure? Whatever it is, make sure you pray. 
That's significant, obviously. We must understand and appreciate the need and the value of prayer. Hopefully we do. Hopefully today is even a bit better for us. We must love the Lord, and hence we want to talk to him, of course. And prayer will strengthen us and help us and comfort us and do all those things. And so we won't be as distracted. We won't be as distracted. If, if you're praying regularly and consistently, we won't, we, we won't be distracted by some other things because we'll know the significance. We won't neglect opportunities to tell people about the Lord. We won't because we'll be stirred up. We'll be on fire. We've got something exciting. You remember when you first received the Holy Spirit? What did Brian do when he first came in? Raced home to tell his wife he'd received the Holy Spirit. Is that right, Brian? That's what we do. Well, we should want to race off and still tell people we've received the Holy Spirit. shouldn't change. He hasn't changed. And our experience hasn't changed. And the benefits and promises of that experience haven't changed. So are we just as excited about it as we were? Are we just as joyful? Are we just as animated? Uh, and, and just, uh, yeah, or are we a little bit more politically correct now, a little bit more uh, aware that uh, I might not get the best of responses? You know, when we read back in Timothy there, Second Timothy chapter 1, Paul said the very next thing, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why did he say that in that same context? Because if we're not firing up the Holy Ghost and getting the, the furnace really cranked up, then we'll, we'll, we'll be a little hesitant. We'll step back a little bit. We're a little bit more cautious. And we'll be thinking, what, what will they think of me? Or how will they react to this? Or, 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 or what will they say to one another? And how will I be treated? But if we're fired up, we won't worry about those things. Because we're fired up. We just simply want to talk about it, of course. And our focus and our understanding and appreciation will be totally in the right direction, of course. Go down to verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep him from falling, keep you from falling, uh, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's what it's about, isn't it, folk? That's what this life's about. It's not about accumulating stuff on this planet. We'll do that as an automatic process, no doubt. You'll have to buy and eat and drink and sell and go to work and get lunches together and do the washing and do the dishes and mow the lawns and iron shirts. Sandra, iron shirts. That's what you do. But that's not what life's about. What life is about is exactly what we're reading here. He is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. The moment is coming soon, folk, when the Lord is going to fulfill this. He's going to present us in this manner with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And you know what? If we could think this way, we would think, why on earth did I get so intrigued and involved and caught up with that rubbish down there? Because the light and glory of the Lord will be so great that the rest will be just insignificant. Now, I'm not suggesting we're careless and casual now and we treat everything as insignificant and we brush over it. No, we're diligent people about all things that we do, including our work, and the Bible says so, including to our employers and, 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 and to husbands and wives, even if they're unsaved. We do what is scripturally sound in all directions. However, the end game is the Lord coming back and us rising to meet him and being glorified. And the best way, the Bible's telling us here towards the end of the Bible, the best way seems to be build up yourselves, therefore, by praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves, guarding yourself, watching yourselves in the love of the Lord so that you're going to be there when the Lord returns. 
to the only wise God and Saviour be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. The Lord has put in motion a wonderful plan. Way back in Genesis, he said, let there be. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's where it all came from. Everything that we know and understand, all that we're involved in, every aspect of our life, every molecule, every proton, every neutron, every electron, everything even smaller than that, everything that we're ever involved in on this planet came from God. Everything. And at the end of the day, therefore our focus must be on he that gave us life in the first place. Therefore stir up, rekindle, enliven that fire. Amen. All the people said, Amen. Amen.